right, Peter. All right, we're ready. Cool. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, we are back in uh, the Ontolog discussion session now begins. It's August 25th, 2005, and we have today a scheduled discussion on the topic of healthcare informatics landscape, roadmaps, and blueprints towards a business case strategy for large-scale ontology projects. Uh, we have the honor to have Rex Brooks, uh, Executive Director of HumanMockup.org, as uh, our moderator. Uh, Rex actually proposed this subject and has uh, volunteered to moderate the session for us. He had spent all this time organizing the event, and uh, it's all yours, Rex. Thank you. Uh, first thing I'd like to do is, is to repeat for those who are behind firewalls, if you scroll down on the conference call page, to moderator and panelist prepared slides. It's about three quarters, a little past three quarters of the way down the page. You can download the individual slides and you can also download the combined deck, which is what we will be showing slides from up until we get to David Witten and Brand Neiman slides at the end. And those we will be using the actual uh, smaller decks of the individual uh, slide deck. To review quickly, uh, there are some things that, that it would be very good for everyone to understand. If you put yourself on mute when you're not speaking, uh, it's very helpful so we don't get the ambient noise from around you wherever you are on the line. That's a, the number six on your keypad, your phone keypad is a toggle for on and off for that. Also, please do not put us on hold. If you put us on hold, we will get your music and we will not be able to continue until you get back off hold and then, uh, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear about it. So it's best if you don't. And with that, um, the, the last thing for our uh, panelists as we go through this introduction, we want to um, uh, we want to make sure that you ask for um, Peter to advance the slides. Please just say next slide, please. And if you can, tell us the number of the slide, whether if it's on the uh, combined deck, you'll, the slide will be apparent on the screen as you see it. If it's from your uh, personal slide deck for David and Brand, you'll, you should refer to uh, the numbers that of the slide that you're uh, referring to from from that deck, not from the combined deck, because it won't be on the combined deck. And with that, we want to move to uh, doing Mark Wine's uh, brief introduction. Uh, Mark is uh, unfortunately going to have to go to another meeting, and he will hopefully be able to rejoin us later on in the discussion. And Mark works with the uh, General Services Administration in the Office of the Office of Intergovernmental Solutions, and I'll let Mark carry on from there. Uh, thank you for the thank you for the introduction. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, it's been now 12 weeks since I've begun my new role and responsibilities at the Office of Intergovernmental Solutions in GSA. Um, particularly what we're doing is uh, exploring different opportunities for engaging in collaborative uh, activities with state, local, federal, 
in international governments to help guide and support the development of health information technology systems, particularly as they relate to federal, state, and local governments. Here, um, these uh, our coordination activities are going to be in line with the uh, nationwide health information network strategic framework goals. Um, going back, um, the uh, strengths I bring to the position. Um, most recently, the last five years, I've been a program manager for the health IT sharing program over at Veterans Health Administration, and uh, played a, a key role in uh, supporting uh, the development of sharing projects across federal agencies. Uh, and the program there also focused on building sh health IT sharing projects across state, local governments, private sector with the VA, and of course uh, the history there between VA and DOD and, and building uh, integrated electronic health record systems and bi-directional uh, communications electronically there, for example. Um, I you can we're, we're on slide number two of your deck. Yes. That would be right. Um, you, I don't have the slides in front of me, okay. but uh, sounds right. Um, going forward, uh, in my current role, um, we're uh, exploring, opening up discussions on regional health information organizations, um, looking at developing a strategy to uh, engage in coordination to provide guidance and support for their development of uh, integrated uh, health information systems, uh, making the most of the health information exchange uh, projects that have been implemented through funding uh, from ARC and uh, HRSA across the country, um, and uh, looking at uh, uh, promoting the, the concepts in projects of uh, open standards, open architecture, um, how do we harmonize interoperability approaches uh, in both uh, open source and uh, the various proprietary electronic health record model systems that Excuse will evolve. Excuse me just a second. Um, uh, I, Mark, I think you should be advancing the, the slides, Peter. Uh, you'll have to play it by ear because I, I, Mark doesn't have them in front of him. Right. Thank you very much. Rand. I, wa I want to uh, encourage here, and, and I'll wrap up, um, that we look toward opportunities uh, where there are health IT applications that could be uh, engaged with ontology software tools that could be a notable demonstrations of the use of ontology to encourage advanced interoperability uh, as these health systems in uh, health enterprises, in providers, offices, and across networks begin to evolve. So I'm, I'm in favor of early planning in health IT projects where we can find opportunities to um, demonstrate uh, the use of ontology tools. I think some some key um, key strategic um, assumptions would be to uh, consider how ontology tools, how interoperability, uh, and advanced 
in advanced ways can uh, support uh, the use of electronic health IT systems that uh, aim at improving uh, the situation with medical errors, improving patient quality, the quality of patient care delivery, and I think also cost effectiveness and efficiency in the planning, development, and implementation of, of health IT applications. Employing ontology tools, I think uh, assuming that we can uh, support cost effective uh, project development and implementation and, in, and have results that create the efficiencies in the use of electronic health record systems that must be interoperable um, across different kinds of models, using different lexicons um, to harmonize, to make a common playing field, a level playing field uh, for, um, for the uh, end users in terms of the definitions of diagnoses that, uh, that drive uh, judgments that are used at the point of care with uh, electronic health records. So uh, I would highlight efficiency, cost effectiveness, um, and a goal toward using these ontology tools and health IT applications to support uh, the improvement of uh, quality care. Thanks, Mike. I've uh, included a couple of other slides on strategy, uh, benefits, uh, from the use of ontology tools in uh, health IT applications in my slides that you can uh, look at. And, uh, and I'll close with that, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, thank you, and I, I do hope you'll be able to rejoin us uh, a little later on during the discussion. I'm going to uh, try to do that uh, as, as this uh, meeting that I'm in uh, progresses. I'll see if I can get in before the end of uh, the panel call. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I would like to say that the fact that Mark could be here with us uh, highlights the extent to which his office is attempting to make sure that it's connected to efforts such as what we're exploring today. And with, Thank you. And with that, uh, we'll, we'll go back to our um, pre-planned uh, flow of uh, this introductory phase. Um, I'd like to say that uh, our first speaker will be Bob Smith, and he worked uh, extensively with me. He's also the head of the ontology, the health ontology project, such as it is within the overall Ontolog Forum, and uh, I appreciate his uh, help immensely and also his viewpoint. Uh, and you'll understand that when he is his uh, his portion. Uh, we have Bob Smith, we have Mark Wine, who just spoke. Uh, Mark Muson is the head of the Stanford Medical Informatics. I don't know whether it's a department or a division, but he's also the head of the Protégé effort, and Protégé is one of the main tools that I use and that a lot of other people use for actually creating ontologies. Uh, and then we also have, the next speaker is Ram Sriram from NIST. He's the lead design the lead of the design process group and manufacturing systems integration division and uh, he's the manager of the manufacturing metrology and standards for healthcare enterprise program so I expect that we, you know between what Mark has done and what Mark has said and what uh, Ram is about to uh, inform us about we will be having the uh, public sector very well represented. Um, after following Ram will be David Witten. Uh, 
excellent uh, presentation to uh, this forum a month ago, and um, I'm looking forward to actually including um, Open Vista in the work that I'm doing, and I'll I'll mention that at the end of the uh, the process here. Uh, following Dave will be Brand Neiman, who is a computer scientist at EPA and the chair of the Semantic Interoperability Community of Practice, uh, which along with uh, the GSA uh, sponsors the Collaborative Expedition Workshops, at which I've given a couple of uh, talks and which has proven to be the linchpin, as far as I can see, for the advancement of cost-cutting interagency information and exchange. and. I think that you know perhaps more than the other um, the other components is responsible for the the uh, imminent widespread adoption of the data reference model as part of the federal enterprise architecture effort. And with that, I'd like to say that one of the things that uh, we put on as a as a resource on the wiki page and that uh, falls in line with our uh, initial topic of toward a business case strategy for large-scale ontology projects is last Friday's publication of a notice in the Federal Register of the uh, Office of the Coordinator for National Health Information Technology, uh, and, and I actually sent out some messages to our, um, to our panelists about this, and I'm hoping that we will be able to um, uh, perhaps tie into that. It, it's it's a clear case where this is a landmark, and we're looking. It says a landmark in time. The it's giving that notice gives structure to the function of the office and begins to fill fill it out and give us a place a, a point of entry for beginning uh, a conversation with them. And uh, we're hoping that uh, that will also uh, help us support Mark Newson's, uh nomination. To the um, and what is the, the exact title of that, Bob? The, the AHIC. Yeah, AHIC. The Health Information Community. Right. Um, we're hoping that uh, that Mark will be able to uh, not only represent the Onlog Forum, but uh, the rest of the efforts that he's been um, behind at Stanford's uh, Medical Informatics. Um, at that point, I think it's time for Bob to take over and um, begin his presentation. Thank you, Rich. Should we be going with the combined slide deck? Yes, we should. Bob, uh, the first one up. Slide number should we be on? Uh, well, keep should, on moving down. Keep on moving down. I, uh, I'm skipping, over, I'm skipping over a number of slides because uh, of the time factor. I, I, I advise everyone to please go back and look at them. But uh, you know, even though we've, you know, I, we can pick it up later and refer back to them if, if necessary. But I, I want to make sure that the um, speakers have a chance to okay, get I, their I, portions done. Yeah, we're on slide number nine of the uh, combined deck now. Yes. Thank you, uh, Rex. Thank you, Peter. And thanks for tuning in. Uh, Rex and I have spent quite a bit of time in organizing uh, some perspectives on where things are and where they're going. And hopefully, uh, we'll get a sense. I 
basically have two perspectives, and it's uh, slowly dawning on me uh, how daunting this is. Uh, for about 45 years, I've had various experiences in the U.S. healthcare system and a little bit in Hong Kong. And most of that time, I was a business strategy professor involved with information technology change, trying to get the uh, largest university west of the Mississippi to start thinking in terms of the potential of replacing paper with computers. And the PC epic that uh, kind of puts me into uh, the role of a rebel and a revolutionary in, in uh, some sense. I have a background with shaping health policy at UC Irvine. I did regional health information simulation of trauma center and trauma center designs, long-range planning for ABAG and SCAG, local communities of government. And I uh, had a lot of time, a lot of baggage, uh, being chairman of the Artificial Intelligence Expert Systems Council. I've uh, been involved with about a dozen small business startups. Um, over this 45-year uh, period. So that's kind of a professional business strategy IT change, but the real perspective that I want to uh, explore today in a very broad canvas is that of the consumer, the guy who is sitting at the bottom of this supply chain or food chain who has uh, at least three or four major problems because they're north of the uh, age of 65, they're on Medicare, they're facing a very set of confused doctors, uh, nurses, practitioners, pharmacists, laboratory technicians, and as you walk through the system as a consumer, you realize how little these individuals understand of healthcare information technology standards. Can you advance quickly? Peter? Peter? Next slide, it'll be 10. Peter? Oh, yep. Peter. Okay, I'm here. One additional point from the last slide, but just don't go back, is uh, I'm also a volunteer in emergency response training for Huntington Beach, and I'm involved with GIS, uh, GMS systems for the Southern California testing area with the National Mapping Project. So I've got uh, a reasonable level of, of comfort that the data has changed and we've got the tools. Uh, very briefly, I want to concentrate on personal health information exchange and interoperability from those two perspectives. Uh, the perspective on the left is the top with looking at business ontology, management, the business process, BPMN, EBXML, UBL, all of those uh, international standards for looking at process, business process, business language that Analog has been involved with. On the right is the consumer perspective, looking at a very fuzzy and indistinct uh, health care standards organization market. We obviously need roadmaps and we need blueprints to craft healthcare standards intelligently for this huge baby boom retirement that could easily bankrupt most of um, the families in the U.S. Next slide, please. 
I'm going to move quickly on this. Uh, there is a complexity that we see, partly a lack of our understanding of the field with improved tools, improved concepts, improved languaging capability. Can a lot of the complexity be simplified and the causal chains made much more evident? Um, I think ontologue as an excellent opportunity. Uh, I would ask the question, what have we seen in the past 20 years about how standards have evolved effectively and what's the actual market and the dynamics? Uh, Gordon Bell has some excellent insights that uh, Rex, I think, will uh, address. Next slide, please, Peter. I'd like to look at the landscape between 2005-2008 from the business standpoint of individual entrepreneurs looking for competitive advantage in solving what they see as a significant marketing opportunity that extends, as uh, we know, to some questionable processes. I also see, in response, a government role in balancing conflict for this value public benefit. Uh, various fail points, I think, can be achieved, verbalized, made explicit with business process tools, with um, full understanding of some of the thought leaders and entrepreneurs. Uh, it's easy to start a list of thought leaders looking at conferences, doing a Google search. It's uh, incredibly uh, popular these days, part of the representation that this is an area that business sees is especially relevant. Next slide, please. Slide number five on Bob's deck or 13 on the combined deck. So we have a framework that we're attempting to formalize and we can look at the various roles of government that is extremely well represented here today, industry, and looking at the attendees. Uh, we have uh, some members of industry, and everybody, uh, government, industry, entrepreneur, is clearly going to be now or in the near future a consumer of health care. Overlooking a lot of the government is the General Accounting Office, it's sometimes seen as a paper tiger, but some recent things that I've seen from the GAO linked with OMB is a global information grid, federal health architecture maturity taxonomy of five parts. I have the URL if you're interested. I'm playing three different roles with PIMS, a large 20,000 member uh, community within the healthcare information technology that could extremely use ontology perspectives, ontology strategies. Perhaps the most exciting thing as you look at inflection points and the uh, demand for health information exchange interoperability is just the Dyson's uh, public health information workshop in September. I see that 
Brand Neiman has also referenced uh, this outstanding conference. I certainly intend to <coughs> be there and uh, report back. I call attention to some very important uh, domains working in the area of health information, information exchange that I haven't seen referenced too much in the United States, particularly openehr.org, and an excellent uh, effort that we're going to see a lot more from, Ethereum, which is OpenEHR, open standards, with a business model that provides extremely low cost, highly secure platforms. Not to make this a commercial, but uh, I think we need to identify open EHR and some of the organizations working around that standard. Next slide, please. Slide. Okay, let's uh, skip that one. Slide 15. Yep. Uh, this is, in general, the certification process that the HEMS group uh, the Certification Commission for Health Information Technology. And right there at the bottom, underneath AHIC, NIST, Dr. Braley's office, and the four contracts, is this. <laughs> I'm not sure. There's several ways of pronouncing ONKIT. But this, this mess down here at the bottom, where you have public and private sector stakeholders, uh, Laying on top of this is a nice rational box uh, with connections between the boxes. Let's take a look inside this muddle, this fuzzy muddle underneath. It's obviously not a cloud. Next slide, Peter, please. Slide 16. This is an extremely tentative effort for me to map as I'm a participant observer, basically a token flying, flowing through the healthcare uh, Petri net. Um, with the boxes, the squares being agents, and the circles, uh, ellipses being opportunities to employ improved coding, improved ontologies, improved languaging. And uh, with that, um, I think I've exceeded my time. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Bob. Uh, Peter, I. I briefly and quickly want to return to slides two through seven of the combined deck, and I will uh, tie together uh, as best I can what Peter, uh, what uh, Bob has uh, has mentioned, because uh, the overarching concept of this panel discussion is that if we look at roadmaps and blueprints and landscapes, these are useful there these are really nothing more than useful metaphors for us to get a handle on domain mapping, navigating those domains, making rational plans about how to improve them and a begin to get a grip on how we ought to be building making those blueprints and then building out a, a much better, much more cost effective system such as uh, Mark Wine was uh, alluding to. Next slide please. Three uh, on the yes, the, yes. The uh, the chief propositions uh, that we're looking at, and the, the most chief proposition is Dr. Brailer's Office of National Coordinator for Health Information Technology 
is now taking form, and that's where the Federal Register notice that I mentioned earlier comes into play because this is a, uh, a very important aspect. It's no longer just words. There's actually some meat on the bones of this thing. And the large IT players, the members of SIN, I mean, because I, I work a lot with Oasis, I'm on the... I'm on several technical committees, and uh, I can attest to the fact that uh, the IBM, Oracle, Sun crowd, and BEA, which just bought Plumtree, are definitely taking notice of the healthcare standards market. And with the uh, commingling of HL7 and OMG earlier this year, we're seeing some uh, advancement of the notion of getting more coordination in the standards. And when Bob was speaking about Gordon Bell's peaks, uh, there, there are two of them. And one of the questions that I'd sort of like to see us address is where do we think we are between the technical innovation and the billion-dollar investments that are about to uh, stampede right over us? Because if we don't if we don't help create these standards, they will be created for us by the people who have the biggest vested interest, and those are the major IT developers. My my sense is that the, the big tech innovation was XML in the late 90s and the early of, uh, first year of this, uh, first years, first two years of this century. Uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, I... I, I spoke with Bob about it, and he's of the opinion that perhaps the advent of uh, RDF OWL uh, marks the, uh, the beginning of the, the technical innovation. And I have to think that, you know, uh, what I'm seeing in the standards world and the, the uh, involvement of the major IT uh, players uh, tends to make me think that, uh, you know, the big investment is ready to happen sooner than I think perhaps we might all wish it. And so my question to everyone is, uh, do we need to, to build a problem statement about how and where and when the things that we need to do need to be done? Next slide, please. Slide number four on the combined deck. Uh, I wanted to, to have a whack at the, the elements of the, of the of a problem statement. and. I wanted to say that we don't have a lack of standards. What we have is, and we don't have a lack of standard organizations, what we have is a lack of adoption, a lack of coordination, a bunch of duplication and overlap, some grave problems with discoverability and accessibility of these standards. And these are the things that, that happen in the trough when between the peak of technical innovation and the advent of the investment. And uh, wearing the trough is sort of what I'm looking at. Next slide, please. When Bob was talking about a framework, this is one of the things that he um, clued me to, and that's this gives you a little bit of uh, an idea of how um, standards, as they come along, need to take advantage of the fact that you know we we have ontologies that work in this, whether we're aware of it or not. They exist by default rather than by intention, and we probably need to start being uh, intentional about it. Next slide, please. I, I, I wanted to show you this so that you can come back to it and think about it later. This does give you an idea of how the frameworks uh, expand up from the bottom. Next slide. Is it D17 or? No, no, I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, 
I wanted to, to mention roadmap constraints. I, I'm sorry, Peter, I did get one ahead of myself. Uh, I, I put this slide in from, from uh, Bob's work because it illustrates the hellish complexity at work. This is a, a, an overview of the infrastructure interdependencies. And I, I put this in specifically because Bob's thought about this, and this is something that I had not really given a lot of thought to, and it illustrates kind of some of the technical problems. If you put this beside the uh, web standard stack and uh, start trying to figure some of the complexities out, you can give yourself a big headache. But the primary thing that I wanted to point out is that there has to be a way to navigate this. Next slide, please. And what Bob and I have, have thought about is that the, the the axes that healthcare at this point in time are the threats, which can be anything from a hurricane to a bioterrorist threat, the time, both in sense of what time of year it is or when it's happening, but also where in the course of, say, the uh, advent of uh, technological change and where we are with standards, uh, where this happens, you know, uh, is it at a nexus in uh, the communication network or the transportation network? Is it going to cause a, a you know a big choke point in a in a nexus for the for uh, the economy? And then as it relates to you and I, and as it relates to our national concerns, how do we deal with individual privacy and security as well as national security? So these are things that we we do need to think about. And I just put this slide in here to show that there's a uh, uh, there, there, it's more than a three-dimensional matrix and we need to find a way to, to start plotting where things fit within this and uh, we can skip over this it, it just basically goes over what I've done before and, and with that we will then move to uh, Mark Meeson and his presentation okay thanks um, I guess I have to wait for the slides. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark Newson. I'm head of what's called Stanford Medical Informatics, which is uh, an academic group at uh, Stanford University Medical Center. Uh, and my perspective, obviously, is that of the academic. So I'm actually the wrong guy to talk specifically about business cases. I'm on a meeting. Pardon? Sorry. Okay, and uh, but I think I can I can address very clearly some of the landscape issues that Rex has brought up because I think this really is a, a very exciting time, and I think uh, in, the, in the original charge to this panel, this notion of questioning whether we are at a tipping point is really quite quite apropos, and I think even if we didn't have Dr. Brailler's office, and didn't we, and even if we didn't have all these uh, new federal awakenings to the importance of semantic integration and ontologies, there's another happening at the grassroots that I think um, what we're seeing to a large degree is actually a response to the feelings that, that people throughout the medical community have and the solutions that they're seeking rather than a mandate that necessarily is being imposed from the top down. Um, so with that, uh, let me go to the first slide, uh, which is to remind all of you that what is really unusual about healthcare is that although healthcare currently probably is not at the forefront of semantic integration and is probably catching up very quickly in terms of being able to deal with the issues that the oncology community is concerned with, really when you take a step backwards, uh, medicine was one of the first uh, 
sectors of, 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 the, commu of the community to recognize the importance of ontology. Um, what I have on this slide is a very small snippet of the International Classification of Diseases, which was the first compendium of all possible causes of mortality and death that really was an outgrowth of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, in the uh, 19th century, as transportation suddenly made it possible for people with infections to easily move from one locus to another, the response on the part of government was to realize that without a way of categorizing how people may be infected and sick and how they may infect others in, in other communities, there was no way for public health authorities to be able to deal with the transmission of infection across political boundaries. And it's really quite remarkable that medicine was probably one of the first uh, groups, if you will, uh, to recognize the importance of ontology as the basis of trying to get work done. And the, uh, the International Classification of Diseases uh, has persisted for the past 150 years and is something now that the, the World Health Organization maintains in various uh, incarnations. And I'll, and I'll get, right now, uh, the most prevalently used version of ICD is ICD version 9. There is a version 10, which is not very well used. And in part, it's because it doesn't really capture the world as an ontology in the way that people would like, and I'll talk a little bit late, later about plans for ICD-11, which I think are more responsive to uh, the kinds of things that our community would like to see and that the, uh, the World Health Organization now recognizes as being essential. Uh, next slide, please. We'll be on slide 26 of the combined deck. So that being said, that was all the good news. The bad news is, is that until very recently, uh, healthcare as, as, as an industry has been most concerned with uh, form but not content. Content has always been something that's been avoided. Uh, probably the most important standards organization in healthcare is HL7, which was formed in the late 1980s as a way of standardizing messages that are passed among distributed computing systems and healthcare environments. HL7 has emerged as the dominant standards organization in clinical care. And it's important to emphasize that when HL7 was, was created, the goal was to standardize messages, but all the effort was put on the on the structure of the message. Basically, how was what were, what were the necessary fields that were going to be used to communicate from one uh, device or, or computer to another. And the whole idea that one might actually care about standardizing how the content of those fields might be organized was really beyond people. And it's only in the past five years or so that I think HL7 has recognized that content is just as important as structure, perhaps more important. Uh, but HL7 certainly has come from a tradition of not really being terribly concerned about ontology per se. So along those lines, uh, in, in the medical community, probably one of the most important initiatives to aid decision support and to facilitate the communication of knowledge uh, from one healthcare organization to another was something which is called the Arden Syntax, which is essentially a framework for representing situation action rules. And Arden has gotten the support of almost every vendor in the healthcare information system arena, has gotten support from huge numbers of academics. And what's quite remarkable, when you look at Arden, you see that it's a way of standardizing processes. It's basically a programming language. And it doesn't say anything about the data that the programming language is processed. It doesn't say anything about ontology at all. And indeed, I think one of the reasons that Arden has been, I think, such a failure 
is that although everybody eagerly embraced this notion of standardizing procedures, uh, there was no attempt to begin to standardize content. And without an ontological commitment, Arden really didn't uh, have the power to, uh, to do very much. And I think now people are recognizing that the, the real power is not in the, in the structure, but in the content. And obviously, that's the big gap that has to be filled. Just in terms of showing where I think the, the community has come from, the American Medical Informatics Association, or AMIA, has an annual meeting. And for the past 10 years, the tutorial, the tutorial of that meeting that routinely sells out is the one on XML, where people, again, are focusing on how to do markup and what the markup structure is without necessarily focusing on content. And, and I think that's an indication that we are at a, we've been in a situation where the emphasis has not been on the ontology, but on everything you need but the ontology. But the world is changing radically, and I think this is where the landscape uh, is really very important in being able to identify where things are going to move. And if I can have the next slide, please. 27. Um, lots of things are happening that are making it clear that, that, that things have to change. Um, but Five or six years ago, the Institute of Medicine uh, released its, 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 its very damning report called To Err is Human. And uh, although lots of people have quibbled with the arithmetic and the statistics, the conclusion was that annually between 40 and 90,000 people every year die in the U.S. healthcare system because of medical errors. And the whole problem of medical errors has been largely uh, politicized. Uh, obviously, it has been a prominent uh, component of George Bush's uh, State of the Union speeches for the past couple of years, and I think in large part was responsible for the creation of Brailler's office in the first place. But one of the th things that, had, that came out of the CP uh, came out of the concern about medical errors long before Brailler came around was the, the idea that perhaps if there were computer-based platforms that would allow doctors to enter their orders directly so that one would bypass the ch uh, chain of command and the chain of people who have to transcribe poorly written hand orders, that we would eliminate a lot of those errors. And there's been this, this enormous momentum behind computer-based physician order entry, or CPOE, so that just as we enter into ATMs, our request for money, doctors would enter into the computer their request for what drugs would be given to patients, and presumably more effectively and with less errors. But to do that requires uh, controlled terminologies, if not frank ontologies, of the, uh, the drugs, of how they're given, about the indications for those drugs. And uh, I think just, and, and not only are those ontologies a prerequisite to CPOE, but the fact that state legislatures around the country have required that hospitals adopt CPOE means that those ontologies are necessarily going to follow, and I think that really changes the landscape considerably. The other thing which became very important in the public eye uh, is the notion of, of, of ontology as the basis for facilitating public health. And I think what was really most remarkable about the SARS epidemic a few years ago is that folks in Hong Kong were able to quickly identify the causative agent and the nature of the disease, uh, largely because all of the hospital information systems in Hong Kong used the same ontology for representing patient findings and patient illnesses. Obviously, having a single payer and indeed having uh, uh, such top-down control over healthcare makes a big difference. But what was remarkable in my mind was really how quickly the virus was identified, how quickly the virus was sequenced, and how quickly uh, the public health agencies were able to respond. And a lot of that credit, people have realized, 
goes to the fact that a common language for talking about healthcare findings where the, where the virus first originated had a tremendous effect on the ability of public health people to respond. And I think as now as we, as, as we enter uh, increasing concerns about other uh, infections such as avian flu, but more importantly the potential for, for bioterrorism, there's this real palpable uh, understanding that we need to be able to integrate electronic patient records across institutions, and obviously uh, the only way to do that is going to be through ontologies. The third, the third thing which has changed the landscape in biomedicine in the past five years really has been the sequencing of the human genome and the ubiquity of high-throughput techniques to really revolutionize biology. And uh, when you look around at what's happening in biomedicine, you see increasingly that biology is less and less a wet bench science and more and more a computational science. And the real problem of being able to handle the, the, the myriad data that come from high-throughput experiments is having the right ontologies to be able to describe what those data are. And it's really quite almost humorous, but it's really quite remarkable to see biologists suddenly asking for ontologies to help them make sense out of all their data and recognizing that without the right ontologies, they won't be able to interpret their data and the ability to take biological results and to transform those into healthcare benefits uh, will be stymied. And so um, th these just sort of are three anecdotal areas where people in the trenches are clamoring for ontologies and regardless of what's happening in business, regardless of what's happening in government, it's clear that the people are sensitized to this kind of a need. Next slide. And there are lots of very positive signs. Uh, again, all of these predating what's going on with uh, Dr. Brailler's office. Uh, it's really quite remarkable to see companies like Apollon, which market control terminologies, actually using the words description logic in their marketing materials and, and, and telling healthcare organizations that not only do they need ontologies, but they need ontologies with particular semantics. I never thought I would ever see that in my lifetime. Uh, we're seeing uh, very large-scale ontology initiatives, tens of millions of dollars coming out of the National Cancer Institute, for example, uh, to bring ontologies, if not to the masses, at least to all the nation's cancer centers, with hundreds of people around the country now working furiously on building the ontologies that are going to be necessary for the nation's war on cancer. Uh, and indeed, what we're seeing at NIH is that every institute seems to want to have its own ontology of its own set of diseases, of its own set of biological findings that help uh, inform the treatment and the understanding of those diseases. And I think it's, it's just sort of absolutely ubiquitous now that the landscape is changing to one where people want to see ontologies in use. Of course, as, as Rex said, there, there is grave problems trying to understand what, what ontologies even exist, trying to find them, trying to understand what people have already done. But uh, it, it's really quite amazing that without, even without a mandate from the top, people in the trenches are asking for this kind of stuff and demanding it. And of course, now the problem is, how do you create the structures that will make those ontologies available? How do you make it possible for people to find out what exists? How do you make it possible for people to put to use the ontologies that will be helpful to them? And that, that, that raises a whole set of, of policy issues, which I'm sure we'll get to later in the discussion. Next slide. 29. Um, just, to, just to reinforce that this is really becoming 
is not a, a, a for-profit business. It's becoming a large enterprise. Uh, the National Cancer Institute internally is creating probably one of the, the largest biomedical ontologies, which currently has now about 30,000 concepts. And I, I don't have time now to walk you through all the, the boxes and arrows here. But NCI has been perfecting over the past decade a very wide-scale initiative for distributed editor, editors in, with particular areas of expertise to make contributions to what is one of the largest biomedical ontologies, one which defines basically uh, very specific concepts related to oncology and cancer biology and, and the clinical care of patients with cancer. And this is the kind of, uh, of business, if you will, that's, that will soon be replicated throughout NIH and obviously will have great ramifications for uh, the rest of the world uh, in medicine soon. The problem with the NIH approach, of course, is that it's highly dependent on very trained content specialists who are employed directly by NCI in order to do this kind of work. And there's been a lot of discussion, particularly as one wants to go not to a ontologies of 30,000 concepts, but perhaps ontologies of 300,000 concepts or 3 million concepts, of how can we open this up in a way where we can have ontologies that will scale even better than those that have already been constructed. Next slide. Okay. And what's interesting, I think, there's been a, a lot of discussion in the biomedical community just in the past year or two. Uh, of, of other alternatives. And a lot of people have looked to the Open Directory Project, which uh, uh, was started by Netscape and has been picked up by a large number of, of vendors in the, in, the, in the software community, where now we have thousands of volunteers around the world who are actively editing their small piece of the Open Directory that uh, drives a large number of, of web engines and, and, and other uh, software applications. And I guess there's a lot of discussion, which may or may not lead anywhere, but it's very intriguing for the panel to think about, about to what degree can biomedicine harness the intellect and the um, entrepreneurism of individuals who may not be employees of any particular organization, but who have a vested interest in fleshing out ontological distinctions who may be able to be recruited to create the very large-scale ontologies that biomedicine ultimately is going to require. And so I, right now, there obviously is not a, a open directory project for medicine. And indeed, when you look at ODP, what it says about medicine is pretty impoverished. But it raises the question of to what degree can we leverage uh, the enthusiasm and the spiritedness of people who care about these, these particular areas to work on large ontologies that may allow for data integration uh, in a very big way. Next slide. And so, uh, just to, just to, to wrap up, um, there are clearly lots of places right now where it's widely recognized that ontologies are needed that don't exist, and there's a lot of hand wringing about how to bring those uh, ontologies to fruition. For example, there are not good ontologies of patient problems. The, the International Classification of Diseases, for example, is just that it talks about diseases, but patients need to be able to. Rather, healthcare workers need to be able to talk about problems that are much more vague, that aren't really specific diseases. People have chest pain, and the, that chest pain can be caused by lots of different things. Shortness of breath can be caused by lots of different things. People come up to doctors complaining of abnormal skin lesions without having a definitive diagnosis. And we, we don't have good ontologies that allow us to talk about uh, the ways in which patients want to describe their problems 
and the way the doctors want to describe problems that are not yet defined, that are not yet diagnosed, but obviously need to have some sort of a name. Uh, again, following up on the IOM report on, on patient safety, there's been an enormous bandwagon to try to develop automated systems that will facilitate uh, or encourage best practices and enforce clinical guidelines to optimize patient care. And yet, we don't have a any, any recognized set of ontologies that define how to represent those best practices and how to encode guidelines. And until we have those guidelines uh, represented within ontologies, we won't be able to share them across institutions. And so that's obviously an area where there's an enormous amount of hand-wringing, but there also needs to be, in the future, a, 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 a robust solution which currently doesn't exist. All of us are aware of what hap has happened in the past couple of years over patient suits regarding unsafe drugs, and obviously the, the recent Merck settlement is in everyone's mind. Uh, there's an obvious need, in fact, there's a mandate now, to be able to store clinical trial results, including those results that, of trials that are not published in the literature because the results are negative, or those results that are not published in the literature because the trial is stopped because of adverse reactions, so that later we can actually go back and learn about uh, what might be important about those trials, even though they may not have led to something that the major journals would want to see in their pages. And um, the idea is important. The idea has enormous appeal. What we don't have is an ontology that everyone's agreed to that will allow us to do that and have automated agents to do the necessary queries on those trial rep results. I mean, Ida Sim at UCSF has done a lot of work in that in this area, but but, the, but what she has done is, is, is not regarded as comprehensive, and it certainly is not a standard at this point. And then what everyone talks about, the whole reason for doing the Human Genome Project was to be able to understand the relationship between differences in the genomic makeup of, of one person versus another to be able to predict how those people would respond to different drugs. The reason that I might take a drug and I might do well, you might take the same drug and have a severe reaction is obviously a function of our genome. And what we don't have are the standards and the ontologies that will allow us to take advantage of genomics in the practice of medicine. And this is represents an area where clearly there's enormous support at the grassroots. The ontologies don't exist. And if the right policies were in place, if the right business practice were, were in place to enable us to create those ontologies, it would obviously be very important to have, have great benefits to society. So I'll stop there and I'll say basically that I think the landscape is, is really quite impressive right now. Obviously, the fact that all of us are on this call, in some sense, is a, is a marker of, of how the landscape is changing. And I, I think from the perspective of an academic that the opportunities are tremendous. And I think with the appropriate support of government and with the right kinds of industries, uh, we can see just enormous benefits for healthcare. I Thank you, Mark. I guess uh, this is uh, Ram here. I'm next. Uh, I guess Mark uh, there provided a very comprehensive uh, overview of the whole thing. So I'm going to kind of add a couple of things to this. Uh, again, uh, I have a tough time in terms of doing the business case around here. I, th I think that thing has already been talked about. So what I'm going to do is to kind of uh, uh, talk briefly about uh, some of the activities uh, we are doing and uh, you know, where we should be headed and things like that. Can I interrupt you for just a second? Yeah. Uh, Peter, just so you know, I copied David Witten's slides up to the, uh, uh, the work directory. Great. All right. 
Okay, so let's go to the next slide, uh, Peter. That would be 33. On 33, on yeah. Track. And again, uh, Mark kind of uh, showed this in one way. What I would view this as the following, like people are talking about interoperability and things like that of all the systems, and then we have the ONCHIT initiative. Now, what people really see is a final end result. Okay, this system interoperating, like as long as it can smoothly send, or, uh, seamlessly send data or information from one system to another system, that's okay. And that's what people see. But there's a lot of stuff underneath as such. Uh, for example, you need things such as terminologies. Terminologies are the cru crucial things uh, uh, for that to happen, and that we don't see. And that's one of the problems that we're going to face in the future in terms of what you don't see is what people don't understand in a sense, okay? Because it's some, this kind of stuff is invisible to the external world in terms of uh, policy makers and things like that. So somehow or other we need to convince them that this is, that this is important. Uh, and I kind of borrowed this uh, slide from Chris Chute, the one before that, 33, uh, where uh, you know, it kind of shows the importance of uh, ontologies. And uh, so that's, that's one level. And then you have one more layer below that, and that layer is a layer in terms of, like terminologies and ontologies are at one layer, and then you go one layer b below, and that's actually trying to understand the complexities of these things and trying to make sure that you have metrics to measure these things as such. Uh, what is a good ontology? How do you test these ontologies? And those kinds of things. So we really have to work at these three levels as such. And first level is something which is demonstrable, and the second and third levels are something which uh, we need to educate people quite a lot. People do not understand. I mean, we are, as a group here, we can talk about ontologies and we all understand what this is and things like that. It's like preaching to the choir. But a lot of policymakers have a tough time in understanding the notion of semantics and ontologies and things like that. They think they still think ontology is something to do with uh, being and philosophy and so on and so forth. Okay, and especially when you try to study the metrics and when you try to study uh, the uh, the IT metrics associated with these ontologies, you know, you kind of uh, many times come against the walls as such. Okay? And I believe that uh, in terms of this field, we are where uh, the Romans were with their aqueducts. About uh, 2,000 years ago, they kind of uh, built all these aqueducts without understanding the science behind this whole thing. They just built them, you know, a few of them fell down on someone else's head, I guess, and then they rebuilt them, and, and, and that's how it, it worked, the whole thing worked. And the science came sometime around maybe 16 to 1700 as such in terms of the strength of material. And similarly, right now, we're just building a few things, putting things together and things like that, and people do not clearly understand what's the science behind this. And we really need uh, to, to, to put that as one of our priority lists in terms of uh, your landscape thing. Well, I'm just going to add a few things to what Mark has already said. And in terms of, for example, even things like ICD-9, they don't really have uh, truly reflect the, uh, the disease state as such, because, uh, for example, when you use this 185, use it for, when you do this coding, use it for a whole lot of things, like you use it for both for uh, a metastatic uh, disease and also uh, with uh, the uh, people who have uh, just clinical indolent disease discovered at TARP. So the problem here is that even that's just kind of incomplete as such. Um, next slide, please. So we have to work at several layers around here. So in terms of our interest in the clinical informatics area, the program which I had is called uh, uh, Manufacturing Metrology and Standards for the Healthcare Enterprise. And there are two aspects of this. One is the informatics aspect, and the other is the device aspect. Uh, in terms of the informatics aspect, 
Um, there are a number of areas that we are looking into, like bioinformatics, clinical informatics, pharmaceuticals, and so on. And uh, in then the slide that I showed you shows our interest in the clinical informatic areas, where our primary focus is on electronic medical records, vocabularies, and evidence-based uh, medicine. And, uh, Ma, and uh, I think uh, from the previous slide and the slide which uh, uh, Mark uh, showed before, uh, the case for these things is kind of clear in terms of vocabularies and evidence-based medicine and things like that, the formalization of these things and developing appropriate standards for so on. And of course, the problem here is that there's so many vocabularies floating around. How do you harmonize all these things? And in terms of the electronic medical records, um, and that's one of the, I guess, focus areas for the ONCHIT, uh, there are two aspects. One is the you know, actually building the electronic me medical records. Second is the testing this uh, software. How does this software actually work on systems? And if you go to the next slide, 30. Peter, that is 36. Uh, these are some of the things that uh, we are uh, we think are useful techniques, uh, like the systems using systems engineering techniques for mapping requirements to an appropriate architecture. Uh, there are a lot of languages for expressing the semantics, and uh, we need and this and, and, and different things can be expressed in different kinds of those languages, like for example, processes can be very effectively represented in a process specification language developed at NIST, and, and people, I guess, you know about OWL and UML and those kinds of things and so on. And uh, there is some debate in terms of uh, how the expressivity and uh, computability of these languages and, 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 and things like that, which uh, the academicians are looking into right now. And uh, the one of the major activities we do here is this uh, notion of uh, apart from understanding uh, the semantics of uh, the vocabularies, the notion of this uh, test beds uh, for uh, testing the uh, both the software and the concepts. And Lisa Kanahan at ITL is uh, working closely with HL7 Group on this conformance testing. And then we all, yeah, I have provided a website, and Steve Ray could potentially provide more details on the uh, on the various tools that uh, we have for uh, doing the uh, for 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 uh, uh, test beds for assessing the interoperability and conformance from uh, a manufacturing uh, engineering laboratory perspective. So, Steve, do you have any comments there? I guess you are. Is Steve there? I'm here, but uh, I think I'll let you go ahead, and if there's discussion later, we can talk. Okay. Uh, and finally, you have this metrics that uh, one needs to uh, understand carefully in terms of measuring and characterizing the information and. Uh, uh, understanding the expressiveness and the computability of these things. So these are more at a technical level as such. So then, then as, as a, again, I guess the next slide. Oh, I don't think I have a summary slide. That's the program that we have. So I'm not going to go into that very much. But what I would, the message I would like to kind of give is that we have, we have about three levels that we need to work with here. One is the, at the top level, that is when you are uh, interfacing one system with another system. And to support that, we need the terminologies and ontologies. And again, one has to make sure that these ontologies are indeed correct and they are uh, appropriately tested and things like that. And we have to really uh, work at all three levels. And that's the message I would like to put forward in your landscape. I know I've not gone into the business cases and things like that here, but I guess uh, we have other speakers who are talking about yeah, that. And I don't want to. We're, we're going to end up only having a little while for our discussion. Yeah, that's why I want to end at this point and kind of. Uh, Thank you very much. I, I have to point out that the the difficulty has been in this process of of, of trying to win.
narrow down what we can uh, address. And we're not going to have a lot of time for our discussion, but uh, we want to get on now to David Witten's slides. Okay, if you can give me a moment. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Rex. Um, you're, you're welcome. Um, just give a rough idea. I'm here um, wearing my VA hat and my World Vista hat at the same time since I'm on lunch hour. Um, basically, uh, when is a, the last time we talked, we had, went into a lot of the details about how the Vista system uh, works and the various ways that inter ontologies interact with the Vista system. Okay. Be before you start, uh, let, let me tell the, the other audience who are not accessing the VNC server, uh, if you refresh your wiki page, uh, David Witten's slides are posted, and you can click on that link to get his slides uh, to run locally on your machine. Uh, all right. So um, I spoke. I spoke to Mark. As y'all recall, Mark was involved with um, the uh, Office of IT Sharing at the VA, the Veterans Administration. So we agreed that I would put a little bit of energy into talking about community of uh, the stuff going on with World Vista as a as an attempt to try to um, organize the community outside of the VA in terms of the Vista system and uh, just a real overview of some of the uh, ideas that World Vista is thinking about about these issues. I think the power of this, um, this talk that we're having today is going to be the questions and answering the questions. So I've only got a, uh, five slides, as I recall. Um, the first slide I review, the fact that World Vista is a 501c3 or uh, not-for-profit um, public benefit corporation. We try to get a wide variety of people involved. Uh, this is an open source slash public domain effort. The uh, original code is in the public domain because it's been paid for by tax dollars and U.S. citizens. The uh, code that is going to be uh, purely developed by World Vista has been agreed that it's going to be released under a GPL to, uh, license. Uh, that's not on the slide, but just so people know. Um, looking on to the second slide, we get a, a profile of uh, what World Vista is trying to do. We've uh, We've got 100, over 100 members. Uh, we've increased about 20% for each one of our meetings. We have between two and four meetings in every, each year. There's a mailing list that if anyone's interested in, we have a, a series of mailing lists related to the various kinds of aspects of this issue, uh, from the technical aspects of what make, how does the open, the open Vista software or the, the, Vi the Vista software work, uh, to different ones where we're talking about people that are trying to adopt it. Uh, what issues they're running into with that option. Uh, and then, as we know, that the Health and Human Services uh, through the Iowa Foundation is going to be releasing a, a version of VISTA intended for smaller doctor's office called VISTA Office EHR. And there's a separate mailing list for that group as well. I encourage anyone who's interested to be involved in uh, any of the um, electronic discussions. Uh, if you uh, subscribe to the Hard Hats mailing list, You'll see on a regular basis we give the announcement for our weekly conference call. Uh, we have an hour conference call on a Friday where uh, Freeform usually discuss what's going on in terms of VISTA and various uh, experiences that people have. So we try for a uh, in-person meetings. To, uh, we have electronic conversations, and then we have the weekly phone call and conference calls as well. Looking at slide two, uh, sorry, sorry, slide three. Uh, just a simple description of some of the things that I've done in the past, how long I've been in this uh, type of field. 
Um, the slide, the next slide, you know, strategic challenges. These are some of the issues that we know are happening, and this is not. Uh, these are not Vista-specific issues. Some of these are. are uh, crises that are happening just in the field that we're choosing to, to work in. Uh, we've got a medical care crisis currently going on. Most people understand. Um, we have increasing numbers of uninsured people. Well, the cost of medical care and medical insurance associated uh, expenses are increasingly uh, a larger and larger percentage of our gross national product. In the early 90s, uh, the uh, medical percentage actually went higher than the uh, donation to of the Department of Defense. I'm not sure if those numbers are still true now, but the fact is that it's still a, a significant portion of our, uh, our gross national product, over 10 percent. The last I heard uh, in the last I heard was in the early 90s. We're dealing with a software crisis that has to be developed in some way. We've got an increasing complexity. Um, we try to shift things from hard from software into hardware, but um, there's also a, a corresponding effort to try to not have everything in hardware, but to have microcode and various kinds of uh, software solutions so that there's a lot of flexibility in our coding systems. One of the problems is that we're getting to the point where the complexity of our code systems is so great that we're not able to hold the whole process in our head. Uh, this is certainly true for Vista, but I would, I would suspect this is true for most of the operating systems out there. Uh, if an operating system has any uh, any functionality that people consider to be a necessity nowadays, um, the ways that it does things is becoming very difficult to keep track of. So we are we have a uh, increasing cost of uh, of software and hardware in terms of complexity, in terms of of how do we manage these processes. Uh, the chaos study showed that uh, we have ways of dealing with things using examples and patterns but we don't really have a true understanding about how to solve it. In terms of medical informatics, I think Martin Newson gave a very good overview of a lot of the issues going on there. Um, there was a study by ACPE which showed that the medical informatics, um, if you compare the amount of money that's been put into it versus the amount of impact and change that's affected the entire economy, uh, it's been uh, very disappointing. A lot of money has been spent, uh, some of them on uh, proprietary solutions, but some of them are just on conflicting solutions. Um, so if you look at the ratio of the amount of money put in versus the total benefit, it actually is one of our most backward sectors of our U.S. economy. The VISTA system is uh, generally recognized as an exception to this, um, but there's not a good explanation why. Uh, going on to the next slide, we'll give you some idea of why we think that the VISTA system has, uh, has been widely accepted and is an exception to some of the problems that we've seen in medical informatics. One aspect is the, um, if you're going to have a quality environment, you're going to have uh, to take advantage of the net effect. The idea that uh, as you have more people involved, the, uh, they feed off of each other and they're able to work together more effectively because um, they don't all hold the same amount of information in their heads. So we, in, in single person, may not be able to understand the complexity of the system, but perhaps a group of people would be able to understand it. Whether that system happens to be a computer program or whether that system happens to be a medical uh, a medical delivery system. The second idea is uh, that we 
we see an increasing view from people who love to formalize to think that this is actually a product, that developing a, a computer system for medicine is a product. You can put it on the shelf and then take it off the shelf and it does everything you want. I believe Mark will agree with me that there's a lot of efforts that have to be done to maintain and to keep keep alive the ontology-based systems. And this is true no matter what kind of medical system we have. Medicine is a rapidly changing field, and it's no surprise that the computer system that supports the medical system has to rapidly change as well. So we deploy a process. We're not putting forth the concept of doing a product solution. We think that the product enables the medical care delivery system, but it must be flexible. It must be changing. There must be a continuing sustainable approach to developing the software system and to developing the ontology that is the foundation behind it. We believe that it's not simply a matter of just teaching somebody in school for a few days and then they now are a medical informaticist. We feel that the whole culture of medicine is such that you really need to be involved in the culture itself if you're going to be involved in the medical information systems. Finally, we feel the software improvement process will continue only if we're looking toward an evidence-based, user-driven, and continuous improvement. Amen. The final issue is just that if you're going to have to have high quality, you're going to have to have people looking at it. No matter what the, what the case may be, whether it's uh, running a gasoline station and making sure that you always pump a gallon of gasoline when someone pays for a, ga uh, a gallon, there always has to be certification and checks and balances built in, and we believe that that's a necessity of, for medical information systems. And that's my slide. Thank you, David. Uh, and we want to move on quickly to brands. Uh, Peter, did you get my update uh, updated slides? I'm only going to use, uh, in the interest of time, probably just one slide and uh, right, making. I, I, if you are on DNC, that's the slide I have. Uh, that, that's the set I have. Okay, I sent you an updated set. Anyway, I'm just going to discuss um, slide two uh, and make some points. And I appreciate being able to participate in this. I've enjoyed the discussions, presentations, and appreciate the advantage of coming last because I've been making notes and uh, updated my presentation based on some things I heard. I want to just uh, talk about briefly the four things on my overview slide. A bit of history, or actually even preface that with saying, I think we have been trying to work on the business case for over a year now, and I'm going to provide a little report out and some suggestions on where to go next. A bit of history, uh, little did uh, PSYCOP and Ontolog know that uh, they were, when they partnered uh, about a year and a half ago, that we'd be taking on this, this grander challenge. But uh, thank goodness we are. I think it culminated recently in our meeting with Onchip. And uh, while we didn't come away with a uh, funded project in hand, I think we came away with uh, maybe something even better. Uh, in the longer run, namely, they didn't say, we don't want you to do that. Uh, they just said, we're not ready ready to do that. And that's typically been the reaction 
in my experience now across the government the last year or so with the semantic or the ontological approach to to uh, enterprise architecture and interoperability. So I'm greatly encouraged that we at least were able to work our way up to the meeting, uh, and I think uh, that that indicates that we do have some business case in in the minds of those people or we wouldn't have even gotten an audience with them, some business case and some traction. Um, I think that to the point that I left them, left with, wanted to leave with them is in the slide you do not see, but that basically this is getting more institutionalized now in that GSA has hired Mark Wine and that we continue to do pilots and uh, expose them in our workshops and public forums. So that would be the first first request I would make. Keep feeding us, feeding us the wonderful pilots you have because uh, we need to keep populating those monthly and quarterly meetings with that to keep that in front of people. Second point I would make is uh, what I would describe as a marketing point. Uh, while ontology is really catching on, we've come a long way from where people were reticent to mention the word. I think it's really interoperability that we want to lead with. And so my second second point there is we first want to explain that the difference between integration and interoperability. And I think uh, the Pollock Hodgson book does an excellent job of that as well as that really is brought out in the in the Australian uh, article that was sent around recently. Uh, and secondly, I think that our marketing phrase should be something like that ontology does agile, adaptive, et cetera, type interoperability. So lead with interoperability and that ontology really is the, the enabler for the kind of interoperability we're trying to achieve. Uh, third, another point I would make is the standards we met with Steve Ray's people recently because we're working to um, standardizes, as I, we say, that the DRM, the data reference model, we're working on standardized it in terms of tools and, and alternate expressions, etc. And uh, Steve Ray's people made the point that really it's not standards per se that fail, uh, it's the implementation of them, particularly in the government. And that leads me to my third point. Uh, ZapSync has recently um, come to the attention of uh, the Federal Enterprise Architecture, particularly because it's considered to be the gardener for SOA, the Service Architecture. And uh, they've made a point to us recently that I think applies to this area as well, that we need to move, just as they realize in SOA, they, they need to move beyond uh, talking continually about what it is. and start focusing on how to do it. And I think that's been our emphasis with the pilots. We have to lead by example how to do it. And of course, then it's what what uh, what is the, the best, most effective way and how to do it. And we're trying to do that in the data reference models. You see point three ontology. I think we have elevated to a significant part of uh, the data reference model. You can see the, uh, the fact that it will be part of almost all, if not all, six presentations that will be given at our second public forum for the DRM uh, September 14th, which will attract 
at least 300 people who won't have to turn away anymore beyond that for space limitations. And it's becoming part of the tool discussion for the DRM that we're having with the vendor community and the uh, uh, as well as the, the uh, government community, etc. But that leads me to the next two the next point I like to make. We have to make strategic alliances to pull this off. Uh, besides NIST, uh, the, the ones that uh, appear to be the most obvious are the Markle Foundation, uh, Esther Dyson. I was interested in, in noticing when I went through my folder in preparation for this, there was this article that was sent around that mentioned uh, a fellow at Perot Health Systems who uh, was favoring the, uh, the open source approach. We might have overlooked uh, partnering trying to partner with him. In fact, Rex, that relates to the Red Hat licenses because that was mentioned in, in that article. Uh, okay. The government health IT, it says HHS keeps health net options open. Mm -hmm. Article uh, quoting Richard Pico, Chief Medical and Technology Officer at Parole Systems Healthcare Division, uh, wanted to keep open source in the mix, etc. Uh, if you could send me the URL, I'd Okay, actually, I think we posted a link to that. Mark or somebody sent that around to us. It's the Wednesday. Uh, it's the July sixth government health IT article on HHS keeps health net options open. Oracle, of course, because they've announced uh, support for ontology and 11G. But that'll bring me to my last point. I really think uh, that the point that may have been overlooked in the Australian article was the one uh, relates to the final point, how we make the business case. I quote it. It says, larger, more complex organizations should do nothing that cannot be done as well and as cost-effectively by smaller and simpler organizations. I uh, think that's very consistent with, with um, uh, three principles we've been following in our workshops. One is, that Tim Berners-Lee gave us at uh, at the Swans Conference where he talked about the constant tension between working locally and working globally. Uh, that refers to the harmonizing vocabularies. And uh, the second is what we hit upon in, early on in the Ontologue Psychop pilot with that hierarchy of ontologies that it takes small and large organizations working to connect that hierarchy of ontologies all the way from the top down, which is the federal health architecture, or things like HL7, all the way down to individual um, doctor ap applications, that's the clinical applications, etc. And then lastly, supports the principle uh, uh, that we're following uh, in the government in this development of lines of business or profiles. We might want to think about um, while there is a line of business uh, for health architecture, uh, beginning to think that uh, we might want to espouse a profile uh, in the sense uh, that we have several other profiles in the federal enterprise architecture for geospatial data, for records management, and for security and privacy. I'm almost thinking that we need a profile for health information and data interoperability, and we might uh, float this because it's really not being dealt with in the federal health architecture yet, and 
and I'm not even sure the federal health architecture is broad enough uh, to to deal with it when you're talking about uh, like personal personal health information systems, etc. So I toss that out to think about that in the business case. I think our business case should make uh, the point that's made in the Australia in the uh, article, the Australian article, that there's a role for not only big organizations but but smaller, simpler organizations, and that's really what what we are. Uh, that there is uh, the need to work both locally and globally, and the semantic web and its standards enable that. That we're on the right track with the hierarchy of of uh, linking ontologies vertically, and that we uh, we we really are are in a position to do a profile, what's called a profile for this area, and that might be the best expression of a business case we could come up with. Thank you, Brand. Uh, and I, I think that our audience now has more than enough to think about while we move on to our uh, discussion. And uh, since we haven't had people asking questions during the course of the discussion, uh, we, we do want to encourage you to ask while we can, since we only have an, half an hour left in the time that we set aside for this, I, I want to start with the, uh, with the question of, is it now important to proselytize the business value of ontology strategies more effectively? And since this picks up right where um, Brand left off, uh, I think it's kind of apropos. Um, and I, I turn that out to the floor. Should we be proselytizing more effectively and uh, for ontology strategies, and, and how should we do that? Well, one thing uh, from a proselytizing point of view, we've got to remember that we've got to return value to the people that we're trying to convince to use. Is this David? Yes, this is David Whitten, sorry. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm an advocate of the idea that when you're trying to convince somebody that going a new way or adding more effort to their life, um, you need you need to show them some of the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. so, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of medicine, as was mentioned earlier by Mark Mewson, um medicine has done things with ontologies and control vocabularies and and various kinds of taxonomies uh, for years. The uh, the issue I think for medicine is not necessarily the case of um, that there are things out there that can do it. It's rather trying to understand that. Medicine is a huge field. It has a lot of complexity, and that the ontologies are almost necessary to actually to make it a manageable field. So, if we we're trying to proselytize the idea of using ontologies, then we need to have a strong focus on the fact of how these things can really change the practice of medicine in or the practice of information medic, information systems. Um, I'd like to hear Mark Mewson's ideas about this as well. Yeah, I think that's really an important point, and I think it uh, resonates well with, with what Rom said, that we have worked on ontologies in medicine for a very long time. If those ontologies have always been disconnected from the kinds of activities that are actually going to bring value to, to, to patients most directly, and that, that really means decision support and other kinds of activities. I think it's very interesting. I, I just had a conversation last week with veteran Ustun from uh, the World Health Organization, who is responsible for the next generation of ICD-12. Um, no, sorry. Yes, I, I'm sorry. Yes, ICD-11. They've realized that ICD-10 is, 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 is needs to be replaced quickly. Uh, and 
And what is fascinating is that his business case to WHO is that ICD-11 is needed so that the, the terminology is not going to be standalone, but will link directly to decision support systems, to systems that will enforce clinical practice guidelines and best practices that will uh, inform providers and patients about the relationships among different diseases. And so I, I think what's really very exciting now is that everyone in the, in, in the ontology business, so to speak, now recognizes that the next win is going to be not in creating better ontologies, but, but creating ontologies that are linked to other services that themselves are valuable. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So we want, we want to be able to, to show and demonstrate the value of linking ontologies to practice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, 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 ontology is still an obscure kind of word, and I, and I, I resonated with what Brand said, that we have to be, be, be focusing on what the solution buys rather than on the solution itself. And I think if we view ontologies as the means by which we can finally allow best practices to be enforced within healthcare organizations, by which we can finally allow uh, integration of medical information across healthcare institutions, by which we can finally allow a patient's medical record to follow him or her from one institution to another. Those are the kinds of things that, that people will become excited about, and there's really only one way to achieve that from my perspective. Okay. This is Dave Whitten again. I mean, some of the practical ways that ontologies can come into play are in, in some of the ways of just verifying information that's already stored in the database, looking for cross-dependencies between fields that are there, and recognizing the fact that um, if you have stored information about the location of someone, perhaps, that that may have an impact on their uh, medical care. Um, looking for issues of, of just making sure that the information has been put in appropriately. Uh, it doesn't make sense to have somebody in uh, with an inappropriate age or their spouse has uh, an age that doesn't make any sense. Um, those those so, kinds of things look like they don't have a lot of impact on care, just just the age, but the fact is that all the, the normal ranges for uh, laboratory information is all dependent on age. You know, the, natural, the normal values change depending on, on whether it's the gender, whether the, the race is correct, whether the age is correct. These so are obvious ways. So we can say that ontologies will, will help us uh, better do better data validation. Absolutely. I mean, ontologies are one way of doing better data validation. There are also better ways, uh, as Mark was mentioning, just of, of finding the information you need. You know, it's, it's not just the case that we want to find um, find information about a particular patient, but we also need to find information about the, the particular kind of care scenario that the patient's in. You know, in the pro in the process you're, of your you're collecting the symptoms of someone, if you can if you have a system which is indexed properly, you can try to take some of these symptoms, some of these problems that the patient is reporting with, and you can use that to give suggestions to the care facility, care provider. I mean, one of the things that VISTA does is these clinical reminders. Again, we're not trying to tell anybody how to practice medicine, but the, the field has drastically changed over the last few years to the point where if you don't have some system to be able to, to inform somebody about what's going on, it, it's not going to happen. They're not, they're not going to know about the study that was done six months ago in, in Massachusetts, double-blind, uh, show, you know, showing 
all of the significant impact of that particular study on the, the care of this particular patient. You know, I'm not suggesting that they spend all their time being computer people and doing research and not dealing with the patients. I'm suggesting that the computer has a role in terms of supporting them in the, in the practice of medicine, in the, in the delivery of, of adequate and, and, value, and valuable care. Well, I was writing as fast as I could, and what I got down was that uh, we can uh, identify cross-dependencies, we can, Im we can improve data validation, we can improve quality of service, we can improve the outcomes, and we can lower costs. We can also provide a, a supportive system, a decision support system, to the actual clinical providers. Decision support. And this is Bob. I'd like to urge that we go one step further down into the market and not just provide the providers, but the consumers. I would like ideally to have maybe five questions that I could ask of a potential provider to make sure that my data is going to be handled correctly, safely, and effectively. And that's the, the results of a good ontology. And I would be great to have a diagnostic, a differential diagnostic, that would indicate uh, what steps and how mature they are and what they can't do yet, but they're promising to do. There's a lot of uh, purchasers of health care that I think uh, with the national um, health information network at, uh, at the talking level, and particularly uh, Esther Dyson's movement seems to be tapping into a tremendous volume and number of thought leaders to be able to simply have uh, a decision support, a finite set of differential questions that would uh, be useful for the consumer. Okay, so that would... For, for illustrating just how sophisticated or, or ineffective their health providers are. Okay. Now, re related to what Bob is saying is there's some stuff done by Octo Barnett right now over at University of Massachusetts General Hospital that is very powerful, but it's uh, basically providing the differential diagnosis kind of information he's talking about. But it is it's actively being... Uh, it's actually being provided by them, but the problem is it takes a lot of update. It takes an awful lot of people paying attention to it and putting the information in. And then, of course, the presentation of it is, is uh, targeted toward medical providers. So they, they use the true jargon. They don't try to make it accessible to the end user. Okay. Uh, well, okay, the, the root question there, we went from uh, assessing you know, the business value ontology strategies to um, thinking about agenda items for how we can, in, you know, enable consumers to identify whether or not their uh, their health providers are are taking care of their information well. Uh, that actually covered several of the areas that, that we had questions for. I'd like to move on while we have time to... Um, one of the next two questions, let me read them both and then you guys decide which one you want to jump on. One is, what viewpoints and strategic assumptions need to be considered and honed for our business model, for our business value proposition? And 
what models and meta-models are available to guide policy-level debates in appropriate forums. These tie together because uh, basically a lot of what Bob was saying is that, you know, uh, if we're going to enable the conversation across all levels in terms of getting support, I mean, what I, what I took from what Bob said was that one of the things that we need to do to drive the market is to empower the consumer to you know, be able to demand more efficient health IT from their providers. And, you know, demand drives supply most of the time as a business case. So do we want to talk about viewpoints and strategic assumptions or models and meta-models? Can I go back and ask? Uh, Bob, what were your five questions, I mean, from a consumer's perspective? I don't have the five questions. Uh, Dr. Musin? Yeah? How do you select your position to make sure that they're ontologically sound, have an ontologically sound infrastructure, that they know what they're talking about, that they're keeping current with the literature, that they're using knowledge management, uh, portals effectively. Do you have, have you formalized your criteria? That's a, that's a great question, Bob. And the, the issue is that there's no way of getting that information. I, th I think the scenario that most of my colleagues who practice medicines are scared about, which happens routinely, is that a patient with a problem will march into the physician office with printouts of thousands of web pages and ask the provider what he thinks about all this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very scary because uh, physicians are increase, uh, increasingly finding themselves less informed than the patients whom they, they care for. Uh, but if you ask me, how do I find a physician who is going to be able to uh, respond appropriately, who is well-connected, who keeps up with the literature, who's, who's invested in the, in the technology, that's really hard. There's, there, there are no card-carrying uh, members of that kind of a club. Uh, on the other hand, I think physicians, because they're scared of the fact that the Internet has been an incredible leveler of knowledge. I mean, basically what has happened with the Internet is that uh, the guild of medicine, if you will, no longer uh, has uh, control over its own knowledge, uh, that there's been increasing pressure on, from physicians on, part, on the part of, uh, or rather physicians, uh, to have the healthcare organizations that employ them to provide them the kind of technology that allows them to stay one step ahead. So this, I guess it's another example of where pressure from the grassroots is actually going to make change the business case. Yeah, I can ask my doctors and the health group um, what IT system they're moving towards. They purchased Epic. They're planning a rollout in two months or three months. The people that I've talked with are terrified. Um, my primary physician at his residency at a Veterans Administration hospital, and he describes how just tremendously impressed he was with VISTA. Uh, so I, as a consumer, can start asking questions about their health infrastructure what vendors, what models, and uh, kick the tires. 
Yeah, I think what's always been amusing to me, and this has been a driver at Stanford, is that uh, our house staff prefer to do the rotations at the VA where they have access to VISTA as opposed to working at Stanford Hospital where they use a commercial uh, uh, information system whose name I won't mention. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mark, on that note, uh, there's a lot of physicians who, I think, a, a large, in my opinion, um, from the physicians that I have contact with, uh, most of them really don't use any EHR at all. That's absolutely right. Especially, yes. you know, in uh, rural areas and even a place like Baltimore, you know, not many people use it. They don't even know what that is. They, well, they know what that is, but they just think they're too intimidated by everything. So I think uh, unless uh, somehow in terms of from a policy level, there's some mechanism to incentivize these people to use this, uh, we're gonna, they, they're not, they're not, they're, they're not going to use it because if you look at it carefully, for every they get about $60 or so uh, for uh, uh, about half an hour of consultation. And if you do the math thing, you get about, uh, let's say you work eight hours a day, you see eight times uh, 12, uh, about $800-$900, but if you take all your overheads off, you make about $400 a day. Okay, with that, why they, they're busy the whole day, and where do they have the time to put input information into a computer and things like that? Now that point is well taken. One of the things that Dr. Broiler has, has suggested is that there be pressure put on the Center for Medicare and Medicaid yeah. Services so that somehow reimbursement to providers is better if they use an electronic patient record, uh, in, in, in a sense, um, compensating them for their time. Uh, I, I guess I'm skeptical that simply uh, manipulating market forces is all that's yeah. necessary, but uh, that's certainly the, the attitude the administration is taking. Yeah, my sense is the people at Chime, the HIMSS uh, CIO team, are getting increasingly sophisticated and looking beyond simply the hardware and the software as they make the decision between uh, Cerner or Vista or uh, Epic um, and that there's a lot of people in HEMS, there's 20,000 or so uh, healthcare providers who have bought for $110 the study by Blackford Middleton uh, basing assumptions on what's it going to take to convert from a paper-based system to a level 2, to a level 3, to a level 4, which is fully interoperative, interoperable. The problem with Jan Walker and Eric Pan and Blackbird Milton's uh, reports is they are silent on ontologies. I talked with both Jan briefly and with Eric on the phone and they are very interested in understanding ontology. So I see a uh, milestone of being able to uh, present a strong uh, elevator speech and look at their literature of where and how the cost that they expect the $200 billion to implement Trailer's plan and realizing a $278 billion net uh, result, leaving if those math, <laughs> math operations are correct, a $78 billion uh, surplus. 
by making the, the changes over a five-year period. So I, I see the reports and digging into those reports, uh, exposing their awareness of certain things and lack of awareness of certain things as uh, a good agenda item for discussing in the near future. That brings up a uh, specific point since we're now down to 10 minutes and uh, I wanted to move on to a couple of other other things. You guys actually did hit the strategic assumptions that need to be considered in home honed and a little bit about the, the meta models, but the fact is that we, in the course of this uh, exercise, identified a lot of the landmarks within our uh, health informatics landscape. And one of the things that, um, you know, we haven't touched on a lot is that while there are uh, a large number of standards and uh, there are quite a lot of standards organizations. Those things are not that neither the standards nor the organizations are terribly useful because we don't have the ontologies that can map the the standards to one another and that can uh, identify for people which particular uh, standards they actually need when you have two standards that address different aspects of the same um, field for lack of a better word. So one of the things that, that I that I put into the first part of the slideshow was the fact that blueprints will be needed, that we don't really have many blueprints and that this discussion needs to sort of come to uh, come to uh, some conclusions about what what we need moving forward. But before we get to that I would like to say that uh, on Peter's service I'm going to be building a a public service preparedness portal that will have a registry within it for emergency management health information and there's no reason why that can't be expanded so I want to just let you know that there's a, a test bed on its way that we'd be happy to uh, uh, provide for at least one part of it. Okay, uh, that, that, that would be my cue to come in and comment. This is Pat Cassidy. And um, your your indicate your comment about there not being any coordination among standards is precisely the the issue that's um, been of concern to me for a long time. And as most of you who know me know, I think the solution is that we really need uh, some kind of widespread agreement on a common upper ontology uh, that can serve as a defining vocabulary for all the domain ontologies people will be building. They can build them independently, and as long as they're using the same fundamental defining vocabulary, you will achieve the interoperability we need. Um, to me, this is not just a desideratum, and I know a lot of people are skeptical, but, but having worried about it for quite a while, I haven't seen anything that comes close to approaching the functionality of a common defining vocabulary and, and no plausible alternative. People talk about mapping. I've never seen a mapping that's the slightest bit of use to anybody. And if anybody knows an example, I'd love to hear it. Uh, Pat? Yes? Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Uh, looking at uh, Steve Ray's work at NIST on PSL and Mike Greninger's work on PSL, Yeah. how does that map up to your criteria? Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, of course, they do PSL, which, which, is, which is a part. Uh, you know, he, he's done good, good work on formalizing um, processes, which is a part 
of, uh, and, and I would consider the PSL as being a part of any good standard upper ontology. Um, and and, and uh, Mike Gruninger has a paper in which he talks, uh, it's in the, what is it, uh, intelligence systems, uh, one of the recent issues, I think, uh, communications of the ACM, forgotten now. I think you mean the AAAI? I, no, no, it was, a, it, was a, it was an article in in, in, the, in a journal. Um, but anyway, he talks about um, interoperability. It was it was a, a special series on interoperability. And he's talking about interoperability, and, and he talks about he 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 doesn't use the word upper ontology, but he says that you want to map all of your uh, ontologies to an interlingua. So I got a chance to talk to. Uh, Mike Gruninger after I read that article and I said, Mike, what, what's the difference between an interlingua and an upper ontology? And he says, well, you know, Mike is very, very concerned about having very careful axiomatic, precise definitions and minimizing the number of possible models. He says, well, you have to have a, a sufficiently rich axiomatization that uh, all the, that the only the intended models that you want are the ones that are actually represented. Okay. So, so Mike doesn't like Ontology like interlingual. What's an interlingual? It's like an upper ontology on steroids or something like this. You know, uh, you look around. There are a lot of people who feel the same thing. There's no alternative to get interoperability but to map to a common, some kind of common basis. Whether you call it an interlingua, an upper ontology. I like to use the word these days, common semantic model. Uh, and the, the big question is how to get there. Uh, I, I have no doubt it can be done, but the difficulty is, is in trying to organize a um, coordinated program to do that. I was hoping that with the kind of money that's going into the NHIN, that at least some tiny little portion of that could be set aside to build this interlingua or common upper ontology, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's uh, a good, that, will, good, that will integrate it. That's a good segue to Brian Newman. <laughs> In the interest of time, I'm going to just pose two questions and give them quick answers. First is, do we do we know what the status of our abstract submission is for the November conference? And if it looks like we're going to do it, then uh, I would suggest that we lay out a series of two or three, at least two or three more calls in which I will volunteer to put forward a business case strategy straw person and uh, but it would essentially it would essentially follow the model for business cases in the government and would draw on each of you to provide me with what you started to do in the early part of the discussion namely you'd say well this is where ontologies can be used and this is where they can be used but I would need specific examples of those as well as if possible the ROI for the return on investment for those because if we want to, if you ultimately want to do a business case, and the first iteration is a strategy that we roll out in this panel at the conference, I think that's all well and good. My inclination is to follow the pattern for bis such business cases that were have been developed in the government, and I will help help do that. Uh, I think we need to come up with an outline for what our business case strategy would be, and then we parcel out the components of that to each of each of you, especially the participants in the panel, and even if we don't get it accepted uh, for the November conference, I think we're on the right track to put 
forward a business strategy and on the way to a business case. What's the deadline for the submission? Well, we've already met the deadline for the submission. That I just haven't That's seen right. when we're going to hear, when we're going to be notified. Okay, that's the November conference we were talking about. Got yeah. it. I mean, that's an excellent exactly. opportunity exactly. for us to essentially say, uh, in our panel, we're going to roll out the strategy on the way to a business case, and and you'll hear you'll hear uh, parts of, of what that is. Uh, is that different than the FCW Government Health IT Conference? No, that's probably that's the same one. Right. Okay. It's the same one. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in looking at the wiki page of our abstract that was submitted, yeah. and uh, I I now fully appreciate what you're saying. You had to have a government person present it, and so that puts uh, increased responsibility on me, uh, but I would be inclined to uh, start drawing on you, take the lead, and put, put together a proposed outline. So not only at the conference do we have the panel, but... Uh, we actually can announce that we uh, we have uh, the beginnings of a document. Well, we're going. What we're going to be doing is we're going to put together a summary report because uh, I was asked by several people to do that for other purposes. So we'll uh, we'll start with that, and uh, we should schedule some calls or have or else set aside some time during the ontology ontolog forum calls for that as well. Actually, I, I would, uh, Peter Kim here, I would suggest that, I mean, with some moderation on the online discussion forum, I mean, we could put this asynchronously uh, to, rest, to the rest of the community and especially to everyone who's on this call that yeah. I mean, we, we could sort of post our views and then uh, Rex or, and or Bob could continue to uh, help guide and coordinate the discussion, and uh, that would sort of stretch out the time and make it sort of an uh, open, asynchronous platform for us to, to collect our views and assemble them and synthesize them. Um, Someone okay. needs to put, put through a framework, which you have a very good one already, uh, and, and I guess adding the, the business case, I guess more specifics as to what yeah. you need. Yeah, uh, I, I, in the provided I can get, you know, input from the, the people necessary to build the business case, I'll be happy to, to do that. Yeah, we, we definitely Bob, want... I'm sure. Yeah. More than the business case, but, uh, but if the business case is the single item that, that would get us some attention, I mean, why not? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it would go a long way toward that. What do you? What does the rest of the panel think? This is David Witten. Um, I've got two ideas based on the uh, Pat talking, and uh, again on your um, discussion about business cases. Um, first off, I think return on investment, which is part of what you were asking for, the ROI for these. Um, that's a, that takes quite a bit of resources to come up with anything that's even close to accurate. I assume that you have enough experience to be able to help the various panel members come uh, get uh, good estimates at least for that? Uh, yes, I, and I'm going to just uh, borrow from another community practice that we're partnering with at the Enterprise Architecture Conference. It's one that Pat Plunkett leads on federal IT performance measurement. 
and basically he's got three cat three categories and a, a methodology for doing that. It's namely uh, what can you what can you demonstrate in the following: the reducing of redundant IT applications, the increase in interoperability, and the facilitating of business improvement. I'm not uh, suggesting that by November we could actually calculate dollars. I'm talking about addressing what, what these have done in, in these three categories that have been decided to be performance measures for, for IT investments qualitatively what we've been able to accomplish you know hopefully that's just an interview or a thought process okay I just want to be sure that we have a, a measure that makes sense for all of the healthcare systems available to us Okay. Since I'm advocating open Vista and the Vista kind of system, sure, it's primarily used in public health kind of environments. It may have uh, different characteristics to it than those that are used solely in, in um, business, um, non-governmental or non-public uh, health type environments. Uh, depending on who has who among our audience who have been very very quiet and patient, I must say, considering we're now overtime, that uh, there are probably some other people that could. Um, uh, contact us and and provide information that would give us multiple inputs for for that. Exactly. Yeah, maybe um, a question to to some of the the members of the audience that have been fairly quiet, uh, and maybe particularly to the NIST people, are there like quantitative uh, measures and and studies that have already been done uh, that would be helpful? Um, Steve, I, I was going to defer to you on the healthcare side. I assume Peter. Well, I think this answer is basically a general. Uh, I think this question is more general than just the healthcare kind of thing. I believe. Okay. Well, uh, certainly in, in a general case, we have done a number of sort of economic study uh, uh, studies, both on the sort of the uh, missed opportunity costs, if you like, um, for through lack of interoperability in general. And those kind of numbers go across different industry sectors and range typically in the billions of dollars per year, whether it's in electronics manufacturing or construction capital equipment industry. I'm, I, I'm sure the numbers are at least as large, if not actually significantly larger, in the healthcare industry as well. We haven't commissioned a, a study like that for the, uh, if you like, wasted costs in the healthcare industry due to lack of an interoperability. But that actually is an interesting consideration. They typically take a couple of years to... Well, what we, what we can do is we can, if you have some examples of that, we can cite those examples and say that there's sufficient similarity between the, you know, um, fields to make some assumptions about uh, what ROI in terms of reduced costs would be. Absolutely. And I can provide both the studies, which are what we call prospective studies in terms of the, the wasted uh, expense, and some ROI uh, work on things where a given standard has saved the country X millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, yeah, and I know that there's some excellent, excellent uh, statistics on that from the interior. Yeah, and, and, and then on our recommendations, we can say that, I mean, these are studies relating to other areas, but uh, we would recommend uh, setting aside some funds to do a specific uh, both qualitative and quantitative uh, economic study on, on what, it will, uh, what kind of results we can expect. 
Um, let, me, let me comment here. I, I believe uh, I was told that the Markle Foundation did studies uh, of que questions related to interoperability and costs, etc. I don't have a specific reference. I mean, their their www.markle m a r k l e dot org is their thing. They've they've released their report and we've looked at it. Uh, I also can mention that I have access to the to the government's business, the agency business cases submitted to OMB. And while I can't reveal all of the specifics, especially the numbers, we can essentially say we've looked at those that relate to health IT investment. Okay. And uh, we can say, you know, uh, we can talk about them in generalities. Uh, so we have some specific data we can we can refer to here. Uh, so, that, so that information is not public, you're saying? It's in a system called Teams, the Federal Enterprise architecture management system right. whose access is tightly controlled. Okay. But I have access to it. But I'm looking to, to hear from everybody who's on the phone. Either they, they've had an experience with the system and they can tell us generally what it's been and what the, if, if there's been a role of the ontology in it or something that they're thinking about doing and what they think the benefit would be. That's the kind of level I'm thinking at initially. And so we go from a summary coming out of this conference call to an outline for a strategy for doing the business case where everybody inputs something, whether they've had actual experience or thinking about doing something they hope would have an ROI, to then then if we get get that far to to a really more rigorous business case in the sense of what OMB is, is trying to do. This is Michelle Raymond from industry. And um, one of the return on investments I'd like to see is the, the middle, middleware. So if we're providing systems and sensors, um, how do I take it to my management that says, it is a really good idea for us to be involved in this ontology work. It's a really good idea for us to be in the forefront of put, I mean, I'm convinced. How do I convince management? We need to marshal our arguments there. Let me yes, yes, but I think that needs to be, uh, when you're talking about return on investment, you're not just talking about the return on investment to the caregiver, to the government, um, to the, the uh, industries that are supporting medical specifically, but also those of us who are going to be actually creating the systems. And that if you don't have us involved, then, you know, you're not going to get anything into the market. Yeah, that's what we just asked for, and I, I think we can pretty much guarantee we'll, we'll get some response. Let me mention something that's very exciting that happened recently and where you could help us. Uh, Digital Harbor rose to the top uh, from the 40 vendors of the SWANS conference supporting RDFNL. Uh, they, we then launched into a series of, of, of pilots. They, they do what are called composite applications with multiple ontologies, et cetera. We've launched into a pilot with them with four use cases, two of which have been delivered. Mike DeCana, Dick Burke, Tim Nelson, all the important people in the government have now seen it. And Mike DeCana has said, this looks like it's the killer application for the data reference model. And uh, you'll see it again at the September 14th uh, public forum. But we are looking for a medical use case now uh, along with several others, so uh, I would ask you, you look at look at the Digital Harbor presentation 
it's posted at uh, webservices.gov. It was just given Monday to the Data Reference Model Working Group with the assistant, uh, insistence of Mike DeCana and others. Look at it and uh, suggest to us a medical application because it handles multiple ontologies, multiple rules, multiple events. It's a very amazing platform, which I didn't think would exist for another five or ten years. So that's a very exciting development that could just tremendously uh, accelerate, uh, accelerate the adoption of an ontology approach in the government. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we have two things. Uh, we have the business, use, the business case, which for which we'd also like to have a use case now for uh, the Digital Harbor uh, composite applications and we have the the argument that we want to be making that uh, studies need to be fun we'll cite some studies that have been done and say that similar studies need to be funded for this arena for health IT and we want to get as specifically as specific as we can about uh, asking for input from the audience here and and please come back to you know, regular calls and, and help us out with this uh, on, on places in, in the economy where these uh, advantages and benefits can be, you know, realized. Okay, can, can we slip in one more issue? Sure. Uh, I, I would like to ask, I mean, for those, for those who are working on standards, are the healthcare standards open enough, I mean, in, in, in terms of participation in the development of those standards to the, uh, to, to the uh, adoption of, I mean, I, I Well, understand. It, it, when it's HL7 and HOMG, the people that adopt it are the people who are making it. I mean, in terms of the people who are going to engineer the tools, tool sets, and applications. And that, but that's a pricey club to get into. Uh, Oasis, on the other hand, tends to take a more international look, and the international health continuum, which I can, you know, say something about, is due to be re, uh, reinvigorated or renewed, and uh, there are several ongoing projects that should be coming out of that. Uh, quite a lot of the steam went out of that when uh, the European Union uh, had its constitutional crisis. But that's sort of becoming background noise now, and it's no, no longer sort of dampening everybody's enthusiasm about CEN and, and things on uh, on that front moving forward in healthcare. Uh, this is Brand. I know we're going to quit in just a minute. I want to just clarify something um, in terms of uh, the um, November conference. Um, so we don't know whether we've been accepted or not, or and I haven't I haven't heard anything. Okay, is somebody going to have you going to take the action item to find out about that, or? Well, I, it, it's one of those things where they they would tell you, I assume. Okay, maybe I can find out because yeah, because I, I I don't have any way except to go to the the web page and and ask you know send in the, and say what's going on. But the idea is is that at least we would we would have this if we just use the summary there. You prepare Rex. Yeah. My role is more just a moderator, not a presenter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. 
Okay. And, and, and primarily, you know, if you were just there, it's, 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 it's fine. We make the presentation, and if they want to do a panel, we, Mark wants to, would like, Mark Wine, that is, not Mark Musen, has said he has an interest in it. Okay, great. But if we, if, if we want, we could use that as an opportunity to roll out a, a sure. strategy yeah. on the way to the business case. So that I would suggest we, at our next discussion, talk talk about well, we should know by then whether we're accepted, and then we should talk about what we want to do with that opportunity. Okay. So I'm, all this is just to know what, what I need to prepare for. If, 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 if at least we have the summary and I'm, and I'm just a moderator, that's great. If yeah. I'm expected to do a framework or a strategy. No, no I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be doing the transcription of this, and then I'll do a first-pass summary, and then Kurt's going to help me and Bob's going to help me to edit it. And, right. and we'll put it out for everybody to look at and adjust it as we need to and move forward. Great. Okay. This is David Witten again. Um, one of the issues that I didn't hear addressed was the uh, idea that Pat uh, was putting forward about the tie between the specialized ontology of medicine and a more general ontology, uh, the kind of upper ontology type approach. Do we feel that having an upper ontology type approach is going to help our case, or do we have any opinions about that at all? I think it will. That was in our presentation, the on-chip. Right. I mean, I think all along, I mean, based on this sort of three and a half years of conversation, uh, is sort of a, a, a general consensus of the ontologue community that some sort of common upper ontology is a, a, a better approach. Uh, of course, it still boils down to individual applications, but, but yes, uh, the answer is yes. Well, I, I thought so, Peter. I just didn't hear any, any discussion of it when we were trying to get ready for this other presentation. That's all. So thanks for bringing that up again. So okay. Now yeah. It's a strong position in, in the summary. Yeah, it will be because it's recorded, and I'm going to transcribe the whole thing. All right. So you're going to wrap up? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I Do we need to do anything special to wrap up? No. Yeah. Yes. Um, the questions that weren't completely addressed or the questions that were added, is that something that uh, panelists might be able to just give a sentence or two um, to you that you can put in the, the, the final summary? There's several questions I see that have been... Yeah, uh, uh, we didn't have time for. Right. Uh, panelists, it's your call. Would you be willing to... Uh, I, there's a list of nine, nine questions that I sent out. Plus an additional that are posted. Yeah. Shall, shall we sort of do that in, in, on an Offline. asynchronous mode and, and do yeah. it on the forum? Uh, yeah, my, yeah, I was assuming this would be on the wiki. It's on yes. the wiki, but, but I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's more interactive doing it over yeah, the, on the, the forum. Okay. And, and someone can transcribe it, sort of synthesize it and, and tra uh, transcribe it onto the wiki. Okay. Is so, this something we wanted to do these questions right now? Are we discussing that these should be topics on the mailing list? Are we discussing they should be answers should be added to the wiki page? Yeah, I, I think the discussion on the mailing list and then someone who's 
uh, uh, summarizing or synthesizing that could sort of uh, uh, group it together and, and put it into either the summary report or back onto the uh, wiki page. That'd be okay? Would that do you uh, okay, Michelle? Absolutely. Okay. May I ask who asked those four questions? I mean, would it have been helpful to know who posed those questions? Okay, I'll add that. Okay. Oh, so they're all yours, Michelle. That's great. They're all mine. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for having this conversation. It looks like we're really moving forward in a very strong way. Thank you. Uh, and thank everybody. Thank all of our panelists for putting in the time and effort. And I think it was a productive session. And I hopefully uh, look forward to perhaps taking this up again. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And thank you very much again, Rex, for uh, proposing organizing and moderating this session. Okay. My pleasure. Uh, Brand Neiman, are uh, you still there? Or this past? I am. Okay. Uh, could you hold on uh, just uh, after we most of us sign okay. off? Okay. Uh, uh, certainly. Bye. Goodbye, all. Bye-bye. Thank you.